This is R.J. Carbone, and you're listening to BD4. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes this one by Mattingly. Oh, hang on to it. R.J. Barrett does it again from downtown. He is just tearing the Orioles apart. It's good. Randall gets the bounce, and he ties the game. Houston ducks under. Got it. All right, all right, all right. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, RJ Carbone. We're back for another episode of BD4, episode 301 of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, welcome to BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees index analysis. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. I think I just said that. Um, yeah, welcome. As I'm recording, and as you are listening to this as well, it should be January 7th on a Friday. Last night, the Knicks took down the Celtics in another thrilling game. When these two teams meet, man, it's always fun. You know, this was another game of the year candidate. Um, you know, almost as good of a game, maybe as good of a game as the opening night game was when these two teams went head to head. Also, was that was that also a Madison Square Garden? I can't remember. I think it was. Um, or was it at the Fake Garden? I don't know. But it was a good game last night, man. And we're gonna get into that. Uh, but yeah, first I just want to make sure. That if you guys have not yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on the many listening platforms that we are on. <clears throat> BD4 is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, our sponsor Anchor, Stitcher, and many other listening platforms wherever you get your podcast. If you want to listen, oh, I'm sorry, if you want to watch, if you want to watch this podcast, you can subscribe to us on YouTube to watch the video format. <clears throat> I'm just getting over having a cold. But, um, so excuse me. But, um, yeah, man. Follow me on all those platforms. Subscribe, download the podcast, share it with your friends. And if you haven't yet, follow me on social media as well. Facebook, RJ Carbone. And I'm also on Instagram, at Rob J Carbone. Now, let's uh, let's talk about this game. Let's get to our first break, and I, I want to talk about this Knicks game because, yeah, it was definitely interesting. It was definitely a fun game to watch, and um, we have some things to say. Obviously, there are a couple things we need to talk about. We, we, you know, what's what happened, you know, towards the end of the game with you know who. Uh, we'll get to that a little later to wrap up the show, but. Um, Let's uh, let's head to our first break and we'll wrap this. We'll we'll uh, we'll start breaking some things down. We'll summarize this game and do the usual. All right, be right back. Stay with us. All right. Hey guys, so I've noticed that only a small portion of you who watch the podcast on YouTube are actually subscribed. So make sure the next time you go to BD4 on YouTube, if you feel like subscribing, do it. This way, it'll help the channel grow reach out to more audiences, 
more Knicks fans out there, more Yankees fans out there, MMA fans, sports fans in general. Just whenever you watch BD4 on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to help us grow. So if you guys want to follow me on social media, be sure to do so right now. I'm on Facebook at RJ Carbone. And I'm also on Instagram at Rob J Carbone. Once again, if you want to find me on Facebook, that is RJ Carbone. Instagram at Rob J Carbone. All right, so yeah, uh, the Knicks, big win last night. Tell you what, when these two teams go head-to-head, it's always a blast. Um, now, I just I just literally recorded an entire segment of me talking about this game, um, and like halfway through, me sum- well, no, I actually summarized all four quarters before we got into you know, all the analyzing and everything. I, I summarized the fourth quarter, uh, the four quarters, and then I realized I wasn't even recording. It was on mute. I was recording on mute. So I'm really annoyed right now. And so if I repeat some things that I just said, that's why. Because it's it's you know it's all jumbled together now. Um But yeah. <laughs> if I leave some things out or repeat some things, just know that's because I literally just recorded and it was on mute the whole time. Which I'm pissed off about, but the Knicks pick this one up 108 to not uh, to 105, 108, 105. Just make sure we're all set here before we do this again. Um, we're good, okay. Yeah, and if I didn't say it already, this was a game of the year candidate, um, up there with the first game of the season when the Knicks went up against Boston. So a 108 to 105 victory almost went to overtime, but thankfully. You know, R.J. Barrett connects. Uh, but the Celtics really had this one in the first half. Uh, they were completely dominating the Knicks in that first half. I believe they connected on 11 three-pointers. Um, they were shooting 56% from the field. They were up by 25 points at one point in the first half. Uh, you have Dennis Schroeder killing them with 16 points. He couldn't miss. 16 of his 20 came in the first half. The Knicks really just not doing much offensively, uh, but on the other end, it was really concerning, providing very little resistance on the defensive side of the floor. You had R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle with some pitiful shooting halves, um, at least the majority of the half, but things really couldn't be going any worse. Um, up until the final moments of the half, where finally it looks like Barrett and uh, Randle found it they start connecting a bit more uh and then you have Fournier wrapping up a I believe it was a 28 point first half with a big three-point shot and we'll get to Fournier uh but the Knicks you know at halftime down 63 47 still which to me you know that's what 16 point deficit when you're around 15 points give or take that to me is like the breaking point of a game you know where you're either one run away from being right back in it or you are one run away from being blown out. And so when you're going into halftime, 
with a deficit like that, you need a big uh, a big third quarter. You need a big run in the third quarter. And the Knicks got exactly that. Um, you know, Thibodeau, coming out of the half, said the Knicks didn't have the energy, and he wanted to see that more coming out the gate in the third. And so they had that. Um, it was more of an even third quarter, but the majority of it, but the Knicks did make their big run later on in the period. Uh, after being down 20 points, I believe they were down 20 points late in the third, they go on this massive run, um, bridging from the end of the third into the fourth. It was 16-3 to to conclude the third. Fournier couldn't miss. Um, you know, the young guys were working well quickly, providing some microwave scoring. Randall was being aggressive, going to the hoop a couple of times with a pair of layups to wrap up the quarter. But, you know, it extended to like a 20-3 to run maybe. Um, you know, to start the fourth quarter, we kept pushing. Taj connects on a 16-foot jumper from Fournier's assist. Then you had Taj assisting quickly on a three-point jumper. That's when the Knicks finally take a lead, 84-82, to and the Celtics call a timeout. Um, you know, out of the timeout, the Celtics get a pair of baskets. He had Smart connecting. Uh, Tatum gets a few to fall. But... Really, the Fournier show continues for the Knicks, and he keeps he keeps pouring it on, and then you get some key plays late at the end there by both sides. You know, um, for the Celtics, you know, you had Tatum that and one drive on Fournier, um, he converts at the line to make it 101-99 Celtics with a minute and forty five to go. Then you had Randall getting a shot to to put the Knicks up with a wide open three ball, but he misses the he misses the shot with about a minute and thirty. Uh the Knicks still down two. But fortunately that's followed up uh the next Knicks possession with a really beautiful RJ to Robinson pick and roll lob. Right? That makes it one oh one to one oh one with a minute and nineteen remaining. And then you get the RJ kick out to Emmanuel quickly for that driving floater on the right baseline, it's 103-1-1 Knicks with about 45 seconds left. Um, that's when R.J. Barrett gets to the line. He misses a big free throw. And then not long after, with 12 seconds left, the Knicks were up just one point, and you had Julius Randle missing the first of his two free throws. Randle hits the second, but then you have Jason Tatum in the half court on the other end, taking three dribbles to his right, connecting on that step back 18 footer near the right wing. And it's a tie game with 105 to go. So the Knicks, Thibodeau calls a timeout. And I'm pretty sure he drew this thing up for RJ. RJ gets it, comes around a quick slip by quickly. And he banks it off the glass for three. And the Knicks win. And the Garden goes freaking wild. Absolutely wild does the Garden go. I mean, it was nuts. And it must have been... Excuse me. It must have been really, really fun to be in that building. Um, my buddy actually went to the game. And he was telling me how loud it was. I'm sure it was electric inside and outside the building. I'm sure the streets of NYC were going crazy as well. 
But um, yeah, man, that was uh, that was something to watch. It was definitely up there, and has to be a game of the year candidate right now, up there with that first game uh, these two teams met. Fortunately, we got a break from Reggie Miller. And again, if I said this already, it's only because it's all jumbled together since I just recorded um, a segment of me talking about this game, but forgot to unmute. So I had to delete that part and we're doing this again. Uh, so if I repeat some things or leave some things out, that's why. Um, but yeah, fortunately, Reggie wasn't wasn't commentating. Um, it was Brian Anderson and um, who else? I forget the other guy, but I, I shouldn't forget him because I'm pretty sure it was a big name. Uh, oh, it was yeah, Van Gundy. It was Van Gundy and uh, Anderson. <laughs> they, they, were, they did a nice job. They did a nice job calling the game. But big win for the Knicks. We beat the Celtics at the buzzer behind RJ. And um, wow, <laughs> so many storylines to follow after this one. We have so many different things to mention to bring up. So we'll get to it. Let's head to another break. When we get back from break, we've got some things to analyze and break down. All right, stay with us. So BD4 is on so many platforms to listen to. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can find us on our sponsor, Anchor, and many other listening platforms as well, wherever you get your podcasts. But we are also available to watch on YouTube. So if you want to watch us on YouTube, go subscribe there. But if you prefer to listen to us, again, many, many, many listening platforms. Just be sure to subscribe, download, give us a rating, a review, comment, share the podcast, and all that fun stuff. This is BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. All right. So let's, let's, uh, where do we start? I guess you start, yeah, I, I guess you start with, uh, I, I want to talk about something before we get to the player by player, you know, analysis. Uh, I want to talk about a few things on those last couple of plays. First off, that pick and roll with RJ and Mitch, you know, with a minute or so left was absolutely beautiful. Uh, we saw this in Indiana. Those two connected in a pick and roll. Uh, we saw it here. It works a lot when we do it. It works a lot. But we just barely run that action for some reason. You know, I would love to see Thibodeau incorporate that more into the offense. You know, instead of just basing his offense off of a lot of elbow isolation and you know a ton of DHO. Let's run some more actions between those two guys. Let's run some more pick and roll action between RJ and Randall. You know some pick and pop actions between those two. You know I I just there was also the the the, the RJ kickout. You know that quickly floater was perfection. Um. He, he looked way more comp, uh, composed. I was going to say compromised. He looked way more composed tonight. Last night. Quickly did. But that floater looked totally under control on that drive. Never did I feel like that shot was going to miss. 
I had total confidence as soon as he threw that up that it was falling. He just he looked very sharp to the, uh, last night. And again, RJ as that playmaker, I'm happy he was the one to make that tough pass on the drive there. Right, it was a very risky pass, but it was a good dart pass, quick right to him, and quickly drove from the right baseline and got it to fall. Um, those missed free throws, we got to bring that up because, geez, this happens so much. Uh, Barrett, you know, Randall especially though, because you know it's usually Randall, and it was again. Um, he misses that three. He misses a free throw. And how many times towards the end of games do we see him miss so many shots from the field or at the line? It's continuous. He's just not clutch. He doesn't have that gene. Um, and we're, we're going to touch on him. We're going to touch on Randall and having that factor to him in a bit. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, but also, it's, it's you know, some of those defensive possessions late were tough to watch. Um, you know, with Tatum on fire in that fourth quarter, and Evan Fournier being one of our weaker defenders, if not our weakest with Kemba still out. The Knicks were switching everything. I would have had Fournier switching on to Jalen Brown and not Jason Tatum. You know, Brown looked pretty fatigued there at the end. Um, Tatum had 13 points in like the final seven minutes of this quarter of the game. So it was just an interesting decision. You know, you had the and one onto Fournier, and then you had that step back when Fournier had to defend him at the end with a couple seconds left. I would have preferred Fournier not switch onto Tatum. But it's just a little nitpick there because we did win the game. But um, yeah, he, he did cook him. You know, Tatum ended up with 36. So um, in that final shot, RJ was fantastic, man. You know, I would love to see R.J. Barrett take that final shot more. You know, he's our guy. He's our number three pick. Right? So I would like to see him be the guy more at the end of games. 21-year-old kid, I, I say let him learn. Let him go through these experiences and grow. Let him develop that confidence. Take those shots. It was a great shot by him, man. It, it was, you know, it was a great shot by him. And you had McBride on Twitter saying RJ practices that shit. And I think he does because he took a shot very similar at the buzzer once too, a few weeks ago or something like that. I remember and obviously missed, but I want to see him keep taking it. And it was an excellent shot. I'm happy he got it to fall. I'm happy for the kid. Uh, but also you have to credit. If you watch this play again, you have to credit IQ. Credit to Emmanuel quickly. Um, for that slip screen, you know, if you watch the play again without IQ slipping and rolling there at the end, Brown is still at the top as the help defender on RJ, right? But instead it's just Tatum who defends it well, but RJ was the lucky one tonight, um, last night, just getting that shot to fall. But, but the good thing was that, you know, if you watch it again, you'll see quickly with a quick slip, um, uh, down the middle of the lane to, to draw you know to provide some spacing and draw brown away from tatum and rj so credit to him there but it was a big shot by rj rj had a big performance man at the end there um you know to to erase or kind of uh you know make everybody forget about his horrible game because he wasn't great for for the majority of this one um he scores 13 points on four for 15 shooting uh he had six rebounds and three assists 
But yeah, he was three for 14 before that shot. Uh, one for three from three before that shot. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was just a rough game most of the night for RJ. You know, his bad habits sort of reemerged there in this game. Uh, that tunnel vision that we always talk about coming out of college, so that's always been an issue. The tunnel vision when he's driving. Um, he was basically just going left every single time and getting his shit sent continuously. Uh, countless amounts of blocks by Robert Williams. I think he had seven on the night. But at least uh, at least four of them were on R.J. Barrett. You know, uh, this is a Celtics team who's uh, currently sixth in defending points in the paint. Everybody knows Robert Williams is an excellent defensive player. He's kind of similar to Mitchell Robinson. You know, two rim rollers. But... Yeah, that, that was a, it was a rough game for him. Couldn't get it going with his left hand, which is usually his strong side. You know, he's, the, he's not good with his offhand, so he was relying way too much on his left, and um, the Celtics obviously knew that was coming. Um, you know, we talked more. Uh, we, we talked about that pick-and-roll game with Mitch, and how I said we just need to see that worked more. You know, he kind of... We didn't run it a ton, and he failed to look for Mitchell Robinson this game. Uh, but also that mid-range, you know, from the extended free-throw line. That mid-range game, we saw it a couple times versus Indy. Um, and again, in this game, in that third quarter, again, he comes off a curl and pops a mid-ranger. I would like to think there's something there. I think there's some confidence there with that shot. You can kind of see it, that he's starting to take it a little more off the dribble. And he's trying to make it into a niche. But it'll only improve with more volume. We got to see that more. You know, you got to you can only make yourself comfortable by being uncomfortable. Right? So I would like to see RJ do a little of those, you know, to be a little less predictable. Um, mix in that pick and roll game with Mitch. And um, I think my nose is bleeding. So I'm going to have to pause this show. No, we're good. We're good. False alarm. Um... But yeah, mix it mix it up, be a little more versatile, and that'll improve his efficiency. But all in all, he, he salvaged what could have been a rough night with, with an amazing, outstanding buzzer beater that he and Nick's fans and all of Nick's universe will remember for a while. You know. Um, moving on. Evan Fournier, man. You, you gotta mention him. He was the star guy. You know, RJ hits that shot and we all forget about Evan. He had 41 points. Uh, fifth, uh, 15 of 25 shooting, 10 for 14 from three-point distance. He had eight rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block in 42 minutes. It's amazing. I mean, if you don't believe in feel and the human factor and you're some analytical nerd, this was a pretty, this is some pretty damn good proof. Um, that's now three games, three revenge games, uh, for Evan Fournier against his former team. For, it's it's really remarkable. Uh, you look at the stats versus Boston. I've got them down here. Um, 35 points per game in three games. 55% from the field. 54 from three-point distance. Uh, and connecting on almost seven threes a game in those three games. And you look at his stats versus every other team. 11.7 points a night. 39% field goals just about. And 36% from three. 
He literally scored zero points against Indiana at the Garden a couple nights before. And then the game after, he goes for 41 points. He goes from zero points to 41 points here. How many guys have done that with at least 20 minutes in each game? You know, how many guys have, have won from zero to 40 getting decent playing time? It can't be many. But he goes off. He tied J.R. Smith's three-point makes in a game record, which I still remember watching that game. I remember J.R. took 22 threes in that game. Yeah, I remember that exact game. 2013. Um, yeah, he did a good job. Fournier was outstanding. He was sharpshooting all night. He did a great job freeing himself open off ball, you know, uh, and he did a nice job creating a couple of times on ball. Just hitting tough, difficult shots against tough, difficult, high-level defenders in, in Tatum, in Smart, in Brown. You know, it was an impressive performance. Uh, and he played better defense. You know, he rebounded, crashed the glass pretty hard, and he showed effort out there. It was just like I mentioned, you know, those those frequent switches late in the game uh, got the better of him. But, yeah, a phenomenal game from uh, from the real French Prince. Although I think Frank is actually doing pretty well in Dallas. I haven't checked, but from what I hear, everybody's saying they like him over there. <laughs> uh, one thing, though, this doesn't give Evan immunity. I've always hated when fans do that. You know, Yankees fans do it a lot. Um, when your guy, when one of your players has a really, really good game and they've been struggling before that game, and then they have a really good game, you're like, all right, he gets immunity for me for the next so-and-so weeks. No, no, no. That's not how things work. And I'm guilty of it because I joke around and say that shit too. But that's not how things work, man. You got to show up every night. And especially if you're Evan Fournier making $73 million now, you're going to have to show up more consistently. It can't just be against Boston. But he doesn't have to know that. you know. And we do have Boston again. It's a home and away split. Um, we have them again on Saturday night. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Really, really interesting. Uh, but I might start hitting the over on his point totals when he goes up against Boston. Um, but he had a good game. Um, let's see, to round out the starting lineup here. Uh, Burks, three points on one for ten. Seven assists, nine rebounds, one steal, 37 minutes played. Not much from him last night. Uh, he did attack the glass well, but no offensive production really in terms of scoring. You know, it makes you wonder, again, why not give more minutes to Grimes to McBride um, in games like this where Burks is not going offensively and even, you know, plugging in McBride could have helped slow down Schroeder who finished with 20 points, right? So it just makes you wonder. This is, again, Tibbs favoring the vets over the young kids and it's something that hasn't changed since he's been a coach. Uh, Mitchell Robinson got the start last night. You got to give more than four rebounds in 27 minutes. That's the first thing I'm going to say. Um, but usually I'll give him a lot of crap for his scoring totals too. Now he only had seven points last night, but he was three for three. And again, he just wasn't looked, he wasn't really looked too much, um, and should have been, you know, as a role threat, he should have been given a lot more opportunities. Um, it's a matchup he could have handled in Robert Williams, but we talked about that enough already. That pick and roll game needs to be featured more. <coughs> um, I, I want to get to, you know, to Randall later. I want to get to him to wrap this up. Um, we'll head to break, then we'll get to him. But first, uh, Emmanuel, quickly. Let's let's talk about him off the bench real quick. He had 16 points. He was three for, uh, 6 for 12. 
from the field. He was three for five on his three-point shots, uh, one for one on free throws, three assists, a steal, and two turnovers, 25 minutes. Quickly was huge, man. This was vintage quickly. This was the guy you want to see more often. You just wish it came consistently. Um, but it was big shot making in the fourth quarter. You know, his energy, he comes in, and he changed the entire game for the Knicks in that second half. His momentum shifting play was huge. Just with the, the, the amount of buckets he was getting in key moments to spark the garden crowd. He played the entire fourth quarter, and he was excellent. You know, he was punishing defenders when they went under on the screen, um, and he used his floater a number of times when he drove. Uh, still like to see him mix in a few mid-range jumpers. He's going to have to work on that, but I thought he played pretty well. And I thought defensively, other than some miscommunication with Fournier on those switches, he played pretty good. He, he was playing pretty competitive defense. He was getting out and contesting three-point shots pretty well. So I thought quickly was pretty good tonight, or last night. I keep saying tonight, last night. Um... You know, I say tonight a lot because usually I'll record the podcast the night of the win, the night of the game. But that's actually one of my New Year's, I guess, resolutions. I hate using that term. Is is I'm trying to get to bed earlier, so I try to record these things the next day. Um, but but yeah, quickly was good. Uh, we're gonna head to break, and you know, I kind of want to wrap things up and talk about a certain player and in something that happened last night so we'll get to that stay with us hey guys i hope you're enjoying this episode but first i also want to let you know i have another blog the blog i'm writing for is on ultimatesportsnetworks.com titled the bomber bocker blog if you want to go subscribe to this blog you should do so using my promo code 6a2841 E-R-J-C. Using that, you'd get a discount, $7.99 a month, to get the best Knicks and Yankees opinionated content around. Once again, guys, the Bomber Bocker blog on UltimateSportsNetworks.com using promo code 6A2841ERJC, $7.99 a month. A custom wall tapestry is a surefire way to uplift any room's aesthetics with a personal touch. This 100% polyester wall tapestry comes with hemmed edges for extra durability while its mildew and water resistant properties ensure years worth of decorating bliss. The advanced tapestry printing techniques guarantee crisp detail even for the craziest of designs in any of the multiple size choices. You can select a size of 26 by 36 inches, 51 by 60, 68 by 80, and 88 by 104. These wall tapestries usually ship in 7 to 10 business days, and the price ranges from $24.99 to $69.99, all dependent on the size you select. The Bomber Bocker blog wall tapestries come in orange, gray, and black. But most importantly, be sure when purchasing a wall tapestry for the Bomber Bocker blog that you use promo code 6A2841ERJ. 
JC. 682-841-ERJC. Just go to ultimatesportsnetworks.com and click on the Shop MVP tab, searching the Bomber Bocker blog. And there you have it. All right, let's let's get to this because I really want to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, so what happened uh, later last or, or uh, so in the first half of this game, uh, yeah, towards the end of the first half, I believe it was. All right, so for Julius Randle, we'll get to he scores twenty two points, uh, eight for twenty from the field, two of eight, four for six from the line, uh, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals. You know, he got better as the game went along, I guess. Um, you know, some, some strong takes at the end of that second quarter and in the third quarter, and some good play in the second half overall. Um, got better as it went along. And, 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 hey, the effort was there. You know, you got to praise him for that now, right? Which which leads me to what I would really, really want to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, at the end of the first half, I believe it was, um, apparently, I wasn't there. I can't attest to what I didn't hear it on the TV. Apparently the Knicks fans were, were booing Julius Randle off the court again. Okay. And so towards the end of the game, you know, when the Knicks are in there going on their run, Randall gives a thumbs down to the Knicks crowd. And apparently he's telling them to shut the F up. I'm not shocked at it. You know, I I've, I've known me personally, I've known for quite a bit now that Randall is mentally weak. That's just my opinion. Maybe he's not. I, I mean, from what he's shown, I think he's pretty mentally weak. Actually, most star athletes today are mentally weak in this generation, but hey. Um, but with Randall, to me, it was really exposed in the playoffs last year. Um, even just watching him towards the end of games, you know, since he's been a Nick in the clutch, but really exposed in the playoffs. Once fans were allowed back into the seats, playing in front of a crowd again this year has reverted him back to his normal self. That's really, to me, it just doesn't seem like he has that alpha mentality, that clutch gene, and that gene to to not be bothered and rattled. But, I mean, the whole thing, um, you're throwing a thumbs down, saying F you, F you to your own fan base. You know, I, I get it. They're doing that to you. They're booing you. But you have to know, this is what you signed up for, pal. You know, this is literally what you signed up for. When you decided to ink your signature, write your little love letter on the Players Tribune, you made a deal with the fan base also. I hope you know that. Right? You didn't just make a deal with the New York Knicks. You made a deal with their fans, with New York City. Don't think that do you not do you not know that Patrick Ewing dealt with that shit? Ewing dealt with some ugly shit. Fans were saying some pretty ugly shit to him, especially at the end there. I mean, it could be so much worse than than a three letter word three letter word from fans who love their team. You know, it could be like Cleveland Browns fans used to throw fucking batteries at their players. Philadelphia Eagles fans, I hear, are brutal. It could be so bad. 
but you hear a couple of boos. And you get offended at that. And you know, I laugh when I hear the word toxic. You know, this generation's favorite term, one of them is toxic. They love to throw that term around. It's like their little lingo. But a lot of fans call Knicks toxic. This is why nobody wants to come to New York. Right? This is why their fan base is toxic. Nobody wants to come here for that reason, because you guys boo. First of all, where did that come from? I want you, if you're one of those individuals... To list every single player you know, list them for me and then send it to me in my DMs. I'm at Rob J. Carbone on Instagram and I'm at RJ Carbone on Facebook. Please send it to me. A list of players who have said publicly that they did not want to come to NYC because of their fans. Please give me a list of those players. Go ahead, list all of them for me and I'd be glad to talk to you about it. Because for one, Players come to, to organizations for money, living situations, and winning. Those are three reasons. You know, they might favor some things more, you know, money over winning or winning over money or living situation over this and that. But it's usually those three things in whatever order you want to put it. Players come to other cities to play. They don't come or not come because they are scared of a crowd being mean to them. And that leads me to my second point here. The reason why you probably can't list many or any names is because A, that doesn't exist, or B, the very few players who don't come to New York for that reason haven't said it to the public for that reason because they know they'll be laughed at for how ridiculous of a reason that is. I mean, you got guys like Giancarlo Stanton with the Yankees. He gets booed constantly. You know, he has an opt-out in his clause, and I doubt he's going to use it. He's going to stay here because he's getting money. That's one of the three, three things I listed. He could go happy living in L.A. and get paid, but he's getting money right here in New York. He gets booed constantly, gets hammered. A-Rod got hammered. As much as I cannot fathom Stanton, though, I appreciate that Giancarlo Stanton, you know, for as many times as he gets booed after his four strikeout games, which happen often, I appreciate the fact that Giancarlo Stanton at least owns up to it in his press conferences. You never see him bitching and moaning and saying F you to his crowd and crying and trying to, you know, he doesn't try and start a war with his own fan base. Eli Manning even dealt with this crap constantly, a champion in New York who loves this city. Listen, we're fans. We're fans. We're not cheerleaders. Do you want cheerleaders? Then either get the hell out of New York City or maybe start dating a Nick City dancer on the side. Although I'm not sure your wife's going to be happy about that. But I mean, do you really expect, like, do you really think we're just going to sit here like good little boys and clap our hands together, kumbaya, for 48 minutes a night? Especially, especially when you're the one going out there playing the one you, the way you are. That's the thing too, man. Listen, I know Randall isn't that great of a player. I get it. He's not that good. Okay, he's talented. He's a really good player, but he's not great. I get that. But talent and effort are two completely different things. NYC is not booing you because you simply aren't playing with that very well, that good. They're not booing you because you're not good. They're booing you because you're not putting in effort every single night. 
You just you just took $117 million from our favorite franchise, okay? And you're going out there and playing in our arena and you're not giving your effort every night. You're getting booed because you're not playing hard enough every night. Because of your lazy screens. Because you're not cutting hard without the ball. You're sitting there standing waiting for it. Because of your repetitive mistakes dribbling into a double team. Uh, walking back on the other end of the floor when things don't go your way offensively. Not closing out hard enough to contest the three-point shot or to prevent a dribble drive. Um, skipping your defensive rotations. Your efforts are egregious, and they have been, I would say, a good portion of, of, of games this season. That's why you're getting shit from the fans. That's why you're getting booed, okay? It's completely warranted. It's completely warranted, and you have to deal with that. You should have knew that. Don't try and start a war with the fans, because you're not going to win this shit. I'm telling you right now, you're not winning a fan. Uh, you're not winning a war with the NYC fan base. No, no way in hell are you. So I suggest we stop being so sensitive, right? In this era, we are so sensitive, man. I don't care how much of a boomer I sound like. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. Players in this in this era, athletes are, are constantly on social media so they hear this crap. You know, we've got guys making burner accounts, going back and forth with their fans on social media. They're so in their heads. They're let it, they let it bother. You can't let that bother you. You cannot let things like this bother you. And I thought they made some, they're always, to me, when I watch the TNT halftime postgame guys, you know, Kenny, Ernie, Chuck, and Charles, uh, Chuck and Shaq, they're always reasonable. And they actually brought this up on, on the postgame. They were making some really good points, and they were saying very similar things, and I thought Barkley um, really nailed it. You know, he was he was nailing it, hitting the nail on the head. You're not, you know, you, you can't expect to go out there and, and be inconsistent with your efforts and not get booed. You're not just going to get cheered every single night. It, it's, it's incredibly crazy to me to think, you know, to have this mentality that you're so entitled that no matter what you do, even if you don't give your effort, that despite you being lazy, making $117 million, you think you're going to get cheered constantly, even when you, you half-ass it? It makes no sense to me, dude. So live with it. You have to live with that fact. The fans are going to give you shit when you're not playing well, and they're going to cheer for you when you're playing well. That's just how it is. That's how it is in sports. It could be so much worse. You could get batteries thrown at you, like I just said. You could have shit thrown onto the court. It could be so much worse, but you're crying and you're getting a little sensitive over a three-letter word from New Yorkers who want nothing but success for their favorite team. Carmelo Anthony is another one I didn't even list. He got so much shit from Knicks fans. He dealt with it. He said the right things. He didn't say F you and these post-game pressers about his fans. No. Stop crying. I'm not a big fan of Randall, but man, this one, this one's annoying. Especially when it's an effort thing, right? It's an effort thing. You should know. You should be sitting there understanding this. Ugh. Not a fan of the guy, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, caught on yet. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to make that the, the theme of the night. The Knicks won. It was a great game. Excellent game by R.J. Barrett. Randall got better as the game went along. Quickly was outstanding off the bench. Fournier was the best player on the court. 
for 47 minutes before RJ took over in that final second. So, yeah, man, great win. Let's get to uh, the MYYMYK question of the day, and that'll be that from there. So, episode 301 of the podcast tonight, I've got a true or false question for you for our NYYMYK question of the day. So, true or false, Patrick Ewing has the most offensive rebounds in Knicks history. Is that true or is that false? Patrick Ewing has the most offensive rebounds in Knicks history. So let me know the answer, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram, via my DMs, or commenting once I publish the promo to the podcast. Alright guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. This is episode 301 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. And we'll see you after the next game. Knicks play the Celtics on Saturday, so we'll see you tomorrow night, or Sunday, depending on when I record. Alright guys, ciao. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. It's the best way to make a podcast. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm.